Legend has it that when the great Italian explorer Marco Polo went to Asia, he was taken before the fearsome ruler Genghis Khan, and while there, Khan asked him to tell him a story. He was looking for some entertainment. Now, Marco Polo was pretty smart, and he knew that Genghis Khan did not have the greatest reputation for patience, that in fact he had actually executed a few people that he didn't find especially entertaining. So Marco Polo decided to tell Khan the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Well, he began to tell the story, and things went smoothly at first. And then Marco Polo got to the part where he described Jesus' last days on earth. He told Genghis Khan that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and beaten and crucified. And while he was telling him this, Khan was getting more and more agitated, more and more tense. He was on the edge of his seat. And when Marco Polo said, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, Khan could no longer contain himself. He interrupted and bellowed, well then, what did the Christian's God do? Did he rain down a thousand warriors? to smite and destroy those who killed his son? And when Marco Polo told Genghis Khan that God's response to the crucifixion was not retaliation, but resurrection, it said that Khan slumped back in his great chair and scowled in stunned disbelief. Well, say what you want about Genghis Khan, but on this one, I really don't think you can fault him because, let's be honest, that kind of ending is difficult to believe. In a world like ours, where there is so much violence and anger and hatred and revenge, it is a lot easier to believe that the final word is wrath rather than grace. Now, after the crucifixion, I'm sure the disciples had their own thoughts about this. The Romans were experts in wrath. And when they killed Jesus, it appeared that their way prevailed. Jesus had suffered terribly and died and then laid out in a cold stone tomb hewn out of the rock. Everybody knew this was true. And so when Mary Magdalene, very early on the third day, began to make her way to the tomb, she was expecting to face that reality again and to mourn her own hope. But as she got near the tomb, even in that dim early light, she could tell that something was amiss because the huge stone that had sealed the entrance of the tomb had been rolled away. The grave was open. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. Who would do such a thing, and why would they do it? Were they so afraid of him, even in death, that they felt like they had to take him away? Did they think he was going to be some sort of martyr, some sort of political symbol? She didn't know. What she did know was that they were not treating him with the respect that he deserved. So she was beside herself. She ran and she ran and she ran and she ran in that early morning light and she got two of the others and she brought them back and they looked inside the tomb and saw that she was telling the truth. He wasn't in there. His body was gone. 
Well, they ended up going on home, but not Mary Magdalene. Scripture tells us that she stood rooted to the spot, weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. Then finally, she decided that she would look into the tomb herself. And when she did, she saw two angels in there where his body had been. And they said, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, oh, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Well, then she turned to go, and she bumped right into him. But she didn't recognize him. Thinking that he was the gardener of all people, she said, sir, if you have taken him away, please tell me where he is, and I will come and get him. And then he said her name, Mary eyes as wide as saucers. She said, teacher, teacher. Can you imagine what was going through her mind? To fully expect to come and find a dead body and then to bump into him alive and well? To expect to find death and discover life, that's not just shocking. That's the kind of ending the world will find nearly impossible to believe. Jesus of Nazareth had been raised. Jesus of Nazareth was the ultimate victor. He was victorious. Not Herod, who tried to get rid of the baby while he was still in the cradle. Not the military governor, Pontius Pilate, who leaned into Jesus' face and said, you know that I can kill you if I want to. I can do it right now. Not Tiberius Caesar, who sat on his throne in Rome and tried to stay as far away from peasants as possible. Jesus who? A nobody. You executed him? Perfect. No, these were not victorious. Jesus of Nazareth was victorious. Friends, do you see what this means? Jesus was the ultimate victor. Jesus, who was nonviolent, who included the outsider and lifted up the lowly and offered love and healed the sick and forgave sins. Jesus was the ultimate victor. The one who responded to crucifixion, terrible suffering and pain not with retaliation and anger, not by calling down divine wrath from above, but by responding in grace. He offered forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What does this mean? It means that the Roman way ultimately fails. The Roman way ultimately fails. The way of darkness and death, the way of anger and violence, the way of revenge, of retribution, it fails. It was nothing in the face of God's grace which kicked Jesus' death sentence to the curb and breathed new life into our Lord. And yet we know, don't we, there are people in our world today who are still trying to riff on the Roman way of doing things. They believe that hate has the greatest power. 
They believe, in fact, that violence and power go together. They believe that darkness can crush light. And we see this play out all the time around our globe in everything from domestic violence to acts of terrorism. And this can be so frightening and so disheartening and so discouraging, can it not? I really wasn't surprised last week when I received a text from a good friend of mine, a missionary who serves overseas. He was really upset because there had been yet another terrorist attack on a church in Indonesia which killed many innocent people. He said, Holly, on my lowest days, I feel like life is a series of Good Fridays. I understood what he meant. Maybe you do too. Maybe sometimes you feel like life is a series of Good Fridays. But my friends, we cannot forget that there is hope because the tomb is empty. There is nothing in there except discarded grave clothes. Jesus of Nazareth is risen. We may be an Easter people living in a Good Friday world, as the old sermon says, but Sunday's coming because the empty tomb tells us that hate does not have the last word. Love does. That retaliation does not have the last word. Grace does. You see, Sunday is always coming. It is always coming because Jesus of Nazareth walked out of that tomb and he lives. That is the great news of Easter. It was good news on that first Easter so, so long ago, and it is still good news today because it is our eternal truth. It is our hope. It is the rock upon which we can build our lives and stand. You know, people who are close to me know that I really love baseball. I'm a big fan of the game, and I've come to appreciate it more and more over the years. These days, you don't find me as happy as when I can sit on my couch with a big bowl of popcorn in front of the World Series. That's the best. But it wasn't always like that. I didn't always know that much about baseball. Actually, I grew up in Dallas, and my family were not so much Rangers fans as Dallas Cowboy fans. We just watched a lot of football in my house. Uh, let me put it like this. In my household growing up, Tom Landry, the legendary Dallas Cowboys coach, who was a Methodist. I want to point that out. He was a Methodist. He was just below Jesus. I mean, it was like Jesus and Tom Landry in my house. It was this close. So, I knew a lot about football and not much about baseball until I met my husband uh, when we were in college. Because my husband, you see, was a very fine baseball player. He played first base into college. And on one of our very first dates, he took me to a baseball game. Now, I don't remember anymore at all who we were playing, but what I do remember was that the game went into extra innings and things got pretty tense when the visiting team got in a couple of runs before their last out. Now again, I didn't know that much about baseball at the time. 
And I also had this uh, tendency to compare everything to football, so when that happened, I thought the game was over, you know? I figured whoever scored last in overtime won. So I looked at my husband with disappointment, and I began to pick up my stuff like, you know, we're ready to go, and he said, what are you doing? It's not over. Home bats last. Home bats last. My friends, do you see? that darkness and death, violence and anger and despair and retaliation might get a run or two, but this game belongs to God, and God says, grace bats last. Grace bats last. Hate, violence, anger, they don't win. Love does. Love does. That's what the empty tomb tells us. Grace bats last. Love wins. Goodness is stronger than evil. And light is stronger than darkness. And life is stronger than death. Jesus Christ is the ultimate victor. Grace bats last. And we are victors through him who loved us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen. 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 Let's pray. Most holy God, we give you thanks on this Easter day for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know, Lord, that through him, grace is ultimately victorious. May we find our hope in his love, his glory, and his blessing. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.